0: community. Hey, what's up everyone? Welcome back to Stay Curious, the podcast where we want to create diversity in thought, not division in community. And we where we want you to remember how to think and not tell you what to think. We are back after our long series on faith and sexuality and we are super excited today to have a guest with us. I am not going to introduce that guest yet though because I haven't yet Told you that I'm Matt Fisher, creative director here at Hill City, where we (laughs) record this and every episode of the podcast, and I am here with my co-host, as always, John Wagler. John, what's going on, man?
1: Matt, I don't know when this is going to be on the air. Um, Either we are currently in Israel, or or, or we're behind (laughs) the curtain, but we are so close, and it's pretty exciting. It's going to be a super fun time.
0: Oh man, I can't wait. So yeah, actually, as you all are listening to this, I'm pretty sure that we are in Israel. Spoiler: uh, podcasts are not live broadcasts. Um, <laughs> so a little peek behind the curtain to the Wizard of Oz, uh, and we are probably having an awesome time. I'm just we gonna... might be
1: floating in the Dead Sea right now. We who we we could even knows? Be. Who knows? We could knows? be in the
0: Jordan where Jesus, real Jesus, actually got really baptized.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think the Sarah I was saying uh, a couple of days ago. You know, our staff. Our biggest staff question is: Is it funny or is it blasphemous? And <laughs> we're going to find This trip out. is going to be the epitome of that.
0: I told—I think I told Kelly, our guest today—that uh, we're just going to oscillate wildly between blasphemous or crying. Like I'm either <laughs> going to be weeping or saying something inappropriate. Those are going to be my two uh, uh, modes. I think while we're in Israel. So speaking of Kelly, without further ado, we mm. would like to welcome our guest, Kelly G. Kelly, Hello. what's up?
2: Nice to be here.
0: Yeah. uh, We are so excited to have you. Um, And we have Kelly on today because she is uniquely qualified to talk about our topic, which is uh, sustainability in fashion. Not necessarily like eco-sustainability, but we wanted to take a minute to just kind of talk about or start the conversation around... how we as Christians and people who are called to care about other people and love our neighbor can do that not only um, in our personal lives, but in our consumer habits and specifically in how we dress ourselves, our children and those around us. So, Kelly, you know about this stuff.
2: Just a little bit. Hopefully I'm qualified. <laughs> it's like self-qualified.
0: You can't be less qualified than John and I to talk about things. <laughs> Correct. Yes.
2: We'll see. We all wear clothes. So
0: it's very true. That's true. Very true. Yeah. Um, cool. So, yeah, this is – tell us a little bit about, like, your background in fashion. You obviously have an interest in in clothing and fashion and, and that sort of stuff. You're a fashionable lady yourself. But you also have some, like, uh, you know, work experience working in this world. So tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So I got into fashion when I went to college at VCU. I studied fashion merchandising there and was really interested in the industry and more of the um, behind the scenes. So buying, wh- how brand works, um, what goes into creating a line. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until my senior year of college where I went through a program that we designed a store for Richmond that we started looking into what products we wanted to hold. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, my partner and I fell upon some fair trade product. And that's kind of the first step into finding out more of like what that meant Mm -hmm. and what that looked like. I think when I was in college was the first time like Tom's was around Mm -hmm. and Warby Parker was doing their model of buy a glass, um, we'll give a glass away. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was kind of that intriguing aspect of social impact with fashion that made me want to research more and find out what people were doing.
0: Hmm. That's very cool. I hadn't thought about... So for me, um, I have uh, a history in this sort of topic, but it was always from the, like, politics side of it. Like, I can remember my friends and I, I was saying earlier, not buying Nikes or not buying stuff from, like, The Gap or um, because of, you know, workers' rights. And I remember when Tom's came out, I was... I think I was 24, 25, And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like this stuff is finally starting to make it to like the mainstream, you know, Um, not just like hippies that either make their own clothes or shoplift stuff from the Gap. Um, And uh, so that's interesting that like that was your entree into it was just college and like stuff like Tom's.
2: Yeah, they really made it popular, I think, and more mainstream, like you were saying, because beforehand it was just kind of what was convenient and what was trendy. And it was my first kind of viewpoint at that side of the industry um, because that wasn't popular conversation yet. Um, now it looks a lot different. A lot more people are talking about it and know a little bit more information because people have been working really hard for years. But it definitely kick-started my interest in finding out more and what that meant for me as a shopper.
1: I remember the first time I was exposed to like one of the watch lists. I was like, dear Lord. Yeah, like, oh, like, no. I, had no, I mean, I truly had no idea. I really had no idea it was a thing. Like All I cared about was what was cool. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and then all of a sudden I remember like coming out, I printed it off and like I gave it to Lacey and I was like, uh, what do we do about this and where do we shop and how does this work? And had no idea. And so, which was probably a couple of years even before you were in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just, I'm super intrigued by this conversation because it was still something that didn't actually grip me. Mm-hmm. Like I, you yeah. know, it was yeah. like, I got it, but I think I was in a headspace where, it was like, I mean, stuff happens, <laughs> you know, whatever. But anyway.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Like I can remember one of the first things that I really noticed about um, like the kids that I would end up hanging out with in like seventh and eighth grade and then sort of like starting bands with and like, you know, really kind of becoming my family away from home. The first thing I remember noticing about them was their shoes mm-hmm. and how they were really specific about like they would only wear Doc Martens. Partially because that was the punk thing at the time, but also because they were – back then they were still made in England. So like made proper – you know, made sustainably or or, um, with human rights in mind. Or they would wear uh, New Balance. And like every other kid was wearing Nikes or Adidas. And I remember asking a kid one time like, why do you wear those old man shoes? And he was like, these are the only ones that are like made with people in mind, man, you know. And so it's like that was actually more than the the mohawks and the like chain belts and all that stuff. The thing that I really noticed that made those kids different was that their shoes were different and they had like a reason why they wore certain things. Um, even, yeah, when they would, even when they would wear like collared shirts and stuff, it was always Fred Perry, which was also like mm-hmm. a UK brand that at the time before it moved to Bangladesh was again very specific about like how things get manufactured and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: That's cool. So after college, so you kind of found out about this sort of stuff in college while you were researching it as a fashion major, what made you, what sort of compelled you to continue looking into it and and eventually to start sort of maybe changing your buying habits and talking to other people about theirs? Was there certain, you know, like you hear about people who see a video of like how animals are treated and they go vegan or whatever, like what was your sort of emotional connection to it as you started to research it?
2: I think what grabbed me the most was the impact on people around the world, kind of like what you were saying when people are behind our clothes. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big conversation that we often forget about when we think about what we wear. Like an actual hand touched our garment and created it, Mm -hmm. and are they getting paid fairly in a living wage and wherever they're working, whatever country? Um, And so I think some of the first few brands that I got to know were – partnering with artisans who were already creating their product, um, and using their skills and they just needed a market to sell it. And so it was jewelry brands mostly that were, um, advocating for typically women in other countries. Um, this one was in Uganda with a brand called 31 bits and they were kind of the first one that I got to know in that model and expressed a lot about how they were, paying their workers fairly, mm-hmm. providing education for families, um, and essentially changing communities. And with that, I think that's what kept me going, um, to want to know more and wanted to know more about the brands that I was shopping at. Mm-hmm. Like I was really into the loft in college mm-hmm. and knowing just now the impact of um, the amount of goods that they make and the turnover and the waste and then essentially not knowing in their supply chain of how their workers are being paid or cared for. Um, Sweatshops are a big thing. Um, those kind of uh, information pieces was what made me want to keep um, being passionate about knowing who made my clothes.
1: You would never think that with a store like The Loft, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because, like, they're not – you would sometimes think it with like, some of like the lower-cost, mm-hmm. you know, stores. Right. Like, you, that makes sense. But are there – a couple of brands that people would be shocked at?
2: I think now it's a little bit more common knowledge. Um, I was telling some people today that a few of the brands that I found out were pretty poor in sharing these kind of details Um, are Anthropology, which is a big one for women. No way. Yeah. um, Yeah. They don't release a lot of information about where they source their clothes Mm -hmm. as well as – being able to, like, share any information. They might not even know where their factories are in a lot of cases or where they're buying from because it's such an um, intricate part of the supply chain and hmm. you're just searching these other countries for where your garments are being made. Um, and people don't go to the factories. People don't know the conditions or if people are getting a fair wage for their living conditions. Um, so that's a big one. Um I know we've talked a lot about Old Navy, and that one's definitely improving in what they're releasing and sustainability, but it's still... They're not good. They're Yeah, <laughs> they just produce so much, and people throw away so much from there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But is that... Um, so you and I had kind of talked off mic a little bit about the difference between uh, e- um, ecological sustainability and like human rights, and I think they're both important, right. but what... Like for a brand like Old Navy, um, what is sort of when we talk about human rights violations or, or poor human rights, like mm-hmm. is it low pay? Is it bad hours? Like what give people a sense of like, what do we really mean when we say you should be careful about like, you know, engaging this brand because of how their stuff is made?
2: Right. Um, so a lot of the things that people are advocating more for now is working conditions, um, child labor. And uh, fair living wage. So obviously, we know that other countries' dollar amount is different than ours. So it might look like less money in another country that someone's getting paid. um, But in reality, that's what they need to live there. Um, So there's a brand called Nizolo that is working towards releasing more about the lowest wage that they have in their company. And so in one of the countries that they have a factory, now they're releasing how much that worker is getting paid per month and I believe it's around $280 U.S. dollars, but there, that is above their minimum wage, and so Mm -hmm. that's what they're able to provide. Um, And so it's looking at those intricate details and being able to be transparent and open to be like, we need to do better to raise a standard uh, for people's lives. A lot of it's women, and so that impacts families, communities, um, how people are able to create generation-long livelihood. Mm
0: Yeah, I, I have, like, one of the big responses that I've heard from people is like, well, you know, they make 25 cents an hour, but, like, that's maybe to the, in their country, that's okay. And I'm always kind of like, well, no, not necessarily. Right. <laughs> you know, A, you have to make sure it's a living wage, but also um, if you, like, put yourself in that situation, if you were working for an overseas company and finding out that no matter what your transfer rate is – they were making, you know, the people in that country that were managing the stores or working the counter or mm-hmm. whatever were making exponentially more than you, Yeah, how would you, you know, you wouldn't feel so great about that even if you were making over minimum wage. So it's like I always kind of push, push back on that with people about like, yeah, that's good that they're paying them more than minimum wage, but also if they're selling the stuff at a premium, right? that doesn't like, that just isn't equitable. You know, like if you... If the living wage in Cambodia is a dollar a day, but you're still selling Nikes for $120 and the the profit margin is that big, like, well, why don't you raise the level of life for those people that are making them regardless of what their current level of life is, you know?
2: And that work is so labor intensive. Um, If you're working at sewing machines, if you're working... Whatever part of the production cycle that could be when you're making denim and you're putting it through these different washes and it's typically pretty hazardous um, factories. And so it's also like it's not someone just standing around passing a piece of clothing down the line. It's people doing really hard work and we get to wear the clothes that they make, but are they – being treated the same way that we would expect if we were the ones sewing or dyeing these clothes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, keeping in mind, too, some of these countries don't have health and environmental regulations like we right. do. So what their government may deem as healthy, we would, like, absolutely shut a factory down for because yeah. people are getting sick. Um, so it's all it's all stuff to keep in mind. That well, said...
1: Well, let alone the faith component to it, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're talking about right. slavery or, you know... Um, or folks being under like a slave trade so to speak you know they're even their minimum wage to your point matt if it's dishonest you know towards the overall profit or um if they're just trying to get by or whether it's the health standards or anything from a faith perspective i mean the bible it, like there is very critical of anyone with this dishonest gain right you yeah. know i mean like and that's all throughout scripture and you know i am someone might respond well in the old testament there are uh, But even the rules in the Old Testament were far beyond what was common for that culture. And so even right now, as Christians, we should be looking at this in a way that says, oh wait, hold on a second, these health Mm -hmm. standards, these environmental factors, these people are severely underpaid. Even if it technically is a living wage for them, if they're still severely underpaid and the rich people in the West are making this large profit off the backs of somebody else, Mm -hmm. then the reality is, is that truly is dishonest gain even if they're even if they're saying what their profit margins are they're, they're still it's still dishonest in the sense of they're trying to manipulate and control and hurt a grouping of people yeah. which is like anti what we believe. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: not exactly. not dramatic to say that the more the morality of global economics is not the morality of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Um, yeah. And a and lot
2: and a lot of people, you know, will hear this and feel probably maybe guilty or confused of what they can do, but it's it should be that pause of um, yeah. God cares for justice and cares for people to care for others and I do believe it's diff- just different awareness and small habit changes that can make such big impacts. And being aware of it is obviously the first step.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, admitting you have a problem, right? It's the first yeah. step to recovery yeah, for everything. Um, so that, yeah, that kind of leads into another question that we had, which is: so I'm hearing this, and I think in I think in 2019, most people have a sense of the idea of a sweatshop or the mm-hmm. idea of like um, exploitative consumerism. But uh, I'm hearing this and I'm either convicted or maybe learning some of this stuff for the first time and I'm feeling overwhelmed. Like, because I know that's the feeling for people mm-hmm. when they hear this sort of stuff is like, do you want me to just move out to the woods and sew all my own clothes? It's like, no. But <laughs> now you're aware. What is something from your experience that is a good, like, baby step? Like, what's a good first step besides just being aware for people? Like, when you started to change your habits, what was. What's something that you can sort of like recommend to people? Like, just try this and like, you know, take a baby step in.
2: I think when we look at what we already own and what we wear every day, um, it's kind of down to our consumer habits. We're always told that we're supposed to be buying more every season, something new, get rid of what you own, um, recycle everything out of your wardrobe, don't wear things again. And I think that, mindset switch is the easiest way we can make a change just in our own lives automatically and that doesn't cost money um it is some way that we can kind of reevaluate like why do i care to buy something new Mm -hmm. is what i have not good enough and why do i feel that way Um, because i think a lot of the things that we already own are well enough to wear um and so i think there is this false sense of we always need something new And that's the first way to kind of combat Mm. our like shopping habits and buying too much. Because eventually it goes to a landfill and that doesn't break down for years and years. It may never break down. Um, And so that's causing a ton of issues. Mm -hmm. And so that would be a a big way. Getting to know the brands that we shop is another easy way. Um, And like knowing a little bit more background of what they're doing in their communities or in their company. Um, are they making efforts towards sustainability? Are they even talking about it? That's kind of a big giveaway. Mm-hmm. Is it on their website? Is it on their um, Instagram? Um, Cause a lot of brands know that that's a conversation that consumers are wanting now. And so they're going to put it out if they're doing it. Cause that's a big selling factor for them um, at this point in the conversation. Is
1: there a particular site that someone could go to? Like if the company doesn't have it, but you know, Is like a watch list site or whatever?
2: Yeah, so there's an organization in the UK. It's a nonprofit. It's called Fashion Revolution. Mm -hmm. And they have started a movement um, in the past couple of years to raise awareness for what brands are doing. And they highlight the big brands, not the small ones. Where Typically, the small brands will have that information on their site. But it's more the big brands like Old Navy, Gap, um, brands that we typically see and shop at the mall all the time. And they'll tell you more details about what they're doing and... um, where they're succeeding and where they still need a little bit more work. And obviously this is a conversation where we're not trying to shut down all the big brands. It's just more of like we should call for better standards and we shouldn't settle for things of like how they have been done in the past because we need to be better for people.
0: Yeah, I think that's a big thing is just like ask for more, like do (laughs) – All you can do is do better, right? Yeah. Um, And, you know, I think for people who are listening to this and and maybe you start down this path or start to be more conscious of this stuff, there's always going to be, you know, somebody... If you are vocal about, yeah, we've started to be careful about where we shop and how we shop and all that, there's always going to be somebody who maybe has been doing it longer who has something negative to say. Something that's just like, well, you know... That's just as bad as this. And I think something to keep in mind with any kind of, like, conscientious life change, whether it's your diet or how you, um, you know, consume things or how you dress, Mm -hmm. don't sacrifice. We've said it before. Don't sacrifice the good for the perfect. You know, like, if Old Navy's starting to do better, but you still feel convicted to maybe not shop there anymore, good. But keep an eye on them. And, like, when it comes up, say, you know, they're doing better. They should keep going. Yeah, Um. Or... You know, if it's Nike or, or whatever, whatever the anthropology hopefully starts to do Mm -hmm. better. Like, don't, um, don't feel discouraged or like backed into a corner. Like, well, nobody, it's just like, what's the point? Nobody seems to be like getting up to snuff because it's just those little incremental, like, like just do a little better, push people to do better. Maybe stop shopping here, start shopping there. Not because Target is like a million times better than Old Navy, but maybe it's just a little better um what what role do you think um like secondhand plays in this like i've heard a lot of people just be like i just don't buy any new stuff ever anymore i only do secondhand does that what's the sort of role there um for in your opinion
2: yeah that's definitely a big part of the conversation just because the cycle of a clothing item um it you know it starts in production it gets sold to a customer it stays in a customer's closet and then it's either given away or thrown away. Mm-hmm. And so that point between being given away to thrown away is so important because things getting thrown into landfills, where do they go? Mm-hmm. They don't break down. Um, they're still in good condition most of the times. And in the past, the United States you know, has been a country that has shipped extra clothing mm-hmm. um, to other countries are in need but now those countries don't need it anymore Mm -hmm. so we are left with so much in our landfills and so that second hand keeps the clothing item in a living cycle and provides a kind of a cheaper item for someone who can afford it or wants that style um for not the markup price that it was sold originally and so it's like a a great way to recycle things and keep things out of a landfill and then you know it's good for your closet Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: What's one of the brands that you've seen make a big push, like a big change in your time being interested in this? Like I we had talked about Nike earlier where they used to be a huge offender and on every human's, wa- you know, uh, human rights watch list and they're still not like the best, but mm-hmm. they definitely made big strides in their in their production. What are there any other brands that you can think of that like maybe have the bad reputation still but have actually done a lot to change?
2: Surprisingly, H&M Oh. Um, so they, I don't know a ton of um, their policies right now, but in the past they've been one to make a ton of clothing really cheaply and whatever's left over gets thrown away. Mm-hmm. But now they have been showing up to a ton of sustainability um, conferences and, I mean, a lot of it's from consumers wanting change, mm-hmm. but they've been a company that continues to push better policy getting to know their um, manufacturers and production facilities fair wages i think they are a little bit more pushing on the environmental side Mm. and way more um, transparent in that area maybe production could use a little bit more work just because some of their stuff's pretty cheap still Mm -hmm. Um, but that's been one i'm pretty impressed by
0: Mm, very cool what was, um, like, so as you started to learn about this stuff, I know you mentioned, like, ugh, anthropology is not good. What a bummer. Um, but, like, what was one thing that you found it difficult to, what was a habit that you found difficult to change or, like, an item that you found difficult to give up?
2: Honestly, it's the convenience. Um, when you are, like, kind of committed to researching every single item that you're buying, and I'm not perfect at it, but if that's my commitment, it. It is not an easy trip to the mall. Mm -hmm. Um, So it takes a little bit more time. It takes a little bit more thought. And that just goes into the consumer habits that I was talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. where it just is a mindset switch. It's taken me a little bit more time. But in reality, when I now look at my closet, I wear my things way more than I would have five to 10 years ago when it was easy to just go to Forever 21 and pick up five things. Mm -hmm. Now I buy one and it lasts longer and I'm way more satisfied by that. Um, And so I think, you know, that's the biggest change and the biggest thing that's hard when you're just like out or mm-hmm. traveling to just not be able to stop into a, a store. Um, But like I said, stores are getting better. I sometimes shop at Madewell. Mm-hmm. They have like a fair trade certified denim line. And so that's cool to see. And that is a way that we can be in a store environment and not just shopping online because a lot of people don't like that.
1: Mm-hmm. She's going to start doing label checks on the staff and <laughs> yeah. giving us a weekly
2: fashion I'm report it. i'm into
0: it what do you kelly have you ever i know for um for us like we made a very jenny and i in our marriage like made a very specific um choice to like not shop at walmart ever mm. um because for us it was like um it it walmart i think trickles all the way down to how the actual employees here in the states are also treated not well mm-hmm. um and so we were just like we cannot in good conscience, shop here ever and you know there people feel judged um whether it was like our parents or friends who still shop there mm-hmm. um when when we would sort of say you know when they would say "Well, just you know pop by walmart and grab it and we were like we we gotta go somewhere else um have you sort of experienced that or like how is what has your experience been like when you talk about this stuff of like how do you respond to people who feel judged or want to, you know, sort of like treat you as if you're looking down your nose at them when we know that that's not your heart? Like, how do you respond with that?
2: It's funny because sometimes people come up to me and they're like, Kelly, I have this item, but I can't tell you where it's from. <laughs> <laughs> um And I never want to make anyone feel guilty. It's not kind of about that. It's more about um, when we become aware of something that we think is meaningful and we want to make a change in it. I think it's right that we speak up, but it is never something to shame people. I think this conversation has so many layers because, you know, when we start thinking about the human labor, sure, that is so hard in other countries and in our country, but then it goes to there are people in our country now that cannot afford to shop ethically, right? Because they need those options mm-hmm. that provide them enough clothes for their families, their themselves as individuals, convenience. Um, and so there is always room for growth. But it is just us asking ourselves, like, what's one step that I can like be more aware or make one little change to kind of just know that this is going on, and you know. Can I make a change in my life? Mm-hmm. If if so, then go for it. If not, if now's not the right time, I think probably in a couple of years maybe you'd be ready then, mm-hmm. and that's okay.
0: Yeah, I think that's important to bring up is like if you're listening to this and you're just like, well, that must be nice to have the the mm-hmm. like luxury of buying expensive, you know, sustainably made things. Right. Like that's yeah, shame is not the point if if to if to survive on your income you have to shop at old navy or shop at walmart or whatever like that's what you got to do like you can't like put your family out on the street to like buy nicer things or, or to buy more sustainable things Definitely. um but you know there's also uh like like we said like there's um there's a lot of secondhand like options mm-hmm. and and sort of sustainable recyclable stuff but um yeah before you get there you got to make sure that like you and your family are okay. And then and then it is kind of like a, it's a conversation of luxury to some extent to, to think about these things. Definitely. Um, so I think that's pretty much all of our pre-written questions. John, did you have any other thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I would just say this. There's a reality that as, I'll just bring it a little bit to the faith angle mm-hmm. here. We always had this, we talk about exposure brings discontent. And that can mean when I go to the mall, I don't like what I have on my, you know, like in my closet. So I buy more, but this is also an example how exposure should bring discontent in our souls Mm -hmm. about how we buy, what we buy, how often we buy, like all those things. And that is a part of, um, faithfully living out this whole Jesus thing is this idea. Now, obviously in Western culture, We're so individualistic, we're profit-driven, we're all those things, and I realize that that's ingrained in us, and it's hard to break that cycle, but this is an example of a way to break that cycle and live more communally, which is what it's supposed to be like, and uh, and so being exposed to things like this should bring about some discontent in us so that we can make changes that are helpful for other people that we might not ever know, see, whatever, Mm -hmm. but... Yep, it might hurt the profit margin of some really wealthy people, but that is okay. And um, the other part to this is is way more important when it comes to what does it look like for a Christian to engage kind of the fashion and merchandising side of this, um, which I think is important. And it's not something that... I, I mean, seriously, how often do you hear Christians talking about stuff like this? Yeah, yeah beyond should, rare. Yeah, I right. mean it's beyond rare. But this is an example of something that we should, because there are human rights issues, there are things that hurt people, there are environmental issues. Like those all play into how we love others well and how we love creation well, you know. And so it all matters.
0: Yeah, right? absolutely. And I think. You know, the reality of it is, is we're called to love our neighbors. And in an age of communication, whether it's the internet or the news, like, when you know the plight of someone in Bangladesh, mm-hmm. they're your neighbor. Now, does that mean you should, like, shop sustainably and, like, make sure all of your clothes are artisan made and then be a jerk to your actual neighbor? <laughs> right. No. Uh, be good to your to your physical neighbor as well. But yeah, I think that in an age where the world keeps getting smaller and smaller because of the internet we as Christians are called and like this is a great example of where uh secular culture has done our job for us and that's not a good thing (laughs) right yeah
1: absolutely I I totally agree like there's the reality that secular culture is way ahead of people of faith in this not even like kind of ahead Mm -hmm. (laughs) like way ahead and so this would be example of how like folks that say that they're followers of Jesus need to step forward and really start making a difference here. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Cool. Well, Kelly, any other thoughts?
2: Um, No, this is great. I mean, if you guys have more questions, I highly recommend checking out Fashion Revolution's website. You can Google it. They have great resources. There's also a documentary on Netflix called The True Cost Mm -hmm. that I always recommend for people to know kind of what it looks like to have a poor supply chain in the fashion industry and it will kind of give you more information about why this movement's really taken off
0: you also have a blog
2: i also have a blog it's called the good wear hmm. if you want to check it out go for it
0: <laughs> what, what's the url
2: thegoodwear.com
0: nice Very cool. Well, thanks to Kelly for joining us and thanks to all of you for tuning in to this episode of Stay Curious. If you have questions, comments, concerns um, or suggestions for future episodes, email us at staycurious at hillcityrva.com. Make sure to rate and review us and um, to share the podcast on your social media uh, platform of choice or just tell people about it so that we can get more folks in on the conversation. Again, thanks to Kelly for joining us and we will see everyone next time.